0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keno the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, March the 21st, 2023. Uh, regular viewers, listeners of this show know I'm always slightly ambivalent about the promises of reinvention and of pivoting in one's life and career always seems a little bit seductive, a little bit saccharine, but maybe there's some truth in it. There was an interesting essay uh, last weekend in the Wall Street Journal by my guest today um, about moving towards your next career, about reinvention. It came replete with the classic photos of the city slicker who ended up running a farm, the woman uh, who reinvented herself uh, as, a, as a mayor of a, of a city. We're familiar with these sorts of things, but maybe there's something in it. My ambivalence is probably rather unfair, as so many of my feelings are, um, because after all, we all imagine and dream of next. None of us really are particularly satisfied with where we are. We all, or most of us, the vast majority of us want to reinvent, not just our life, but our work. Uh, Joanne Lippman is the author of this new book, Next, The Power of Reinvention in Life and Work. She's a best-selling writer, a former journalist, and she's joining us from New York City on pub day. And Joanne, congratulations.
1: Thank you very much, Andrew. Great to be here. A very exciting day here.
0: So is my ambivalence fair, Joanne? Is this something that we need to be careful about? You're certainly not the first or the last person to promise reinvention, to promise that you have a book that will help people figure out how to reinvent themselves. You're a longtime journalist, uh, so you're certainly not um, innocent in these things. Why is this such a seductive sell?
1: So, I, I appreciate your skepticism as a journalist. I appreciate the skepticism. But the reason that I wrote Next so, what Next is, uh, is a deeply reported guide to navigating change in how we live, how we work, how we lead. And I actually wrote it for this particular moment in time because right now, so many of us are searching for this sort of new normal. We've had, you know, three years since the pandemic of just tumult and upheaval and a chance for so many people to sort of reassess and rethink. We're searching for more meaning in our careers, searching for more meaning in our lives. And um, and we all went through this at once. And And th- this is actually really key to Next. The book Next is... Typically, as you referenced yourself, Andrew, you will typically in your life, you're going to go through these periods where things stop for you. Like it's a, there's a, uh, you get a new job or you get fired from a job or there's a death or an illness, something that makes you stop in your tracks and reassess. The unique thing about right now is that with the pandemic, that moment that traumatic moment happened to all of us at exactly the same time so we're all sort of searching for what's next for us and rethinking and that was really the impetus to write the book
0: the subtitle of the book is the power of reinvention in life and work mostly these kinds of books either focus on life or work how Intimately bound up, Joanne, do you think life and work are these days? We've done a number of shows about the religious quality of life, whether that's a good or a bad thing. Uh, the, the struggle to separate one's personal life and one's work life. Do you find in your research and in the writing of the book that the people who want to reinvent their work are also trying to reinvent their life and vice versa?
1: You know, at times, I mean, look, I talk to people, I talk to hundreds of people some amazing stories of transformation. And some were career. Some were people who had life-changing aha moments. Some were people who were coming back from terrible trauma, not at all work-related. And some were people who had like devastating failure. And what I did is then I sort of mapped out what were the stages they went through, because I wanted to understand like, how do you get to the other side? Is there useful advice we can get? And I will tell you something. First of all, people go through the same set of stages, whether it's life or work, which was, first of all, a big surprise and interesting to me. But also I found that so much of the conventional wisdom that we all have been taught and that you are right, rightfully skeptical about is wrong. And I, I can tell you there's a couple of major myths that we explode in the book next. Um, I will give you a for instance. Um, In the stories we tell ourselves about these great transformations, part of the problem is they seem sort of magical. Like they're abrupt, they happen overnight. And I call it the Cinderella myth, right? I mean, it starts when we're kids, Cinderella, by the time you're an adolescent, it's Spider-Man, Superman. You grow up and where it's American Idol or who wants to be a millionaire? And it's supposed to be sudden and it makes the rest of us feel terrible when it's not happening. For us, you feel like you're kind of struggling, or you're stuck, and you're you, you're spinning your wheels, and you feel like there's something wrong with you, but in fact, there's nothing wrong with you. This is actually an incredibly important part of the process. This struggle that everybody goes through, and actually, you feel like you're standing still, but you're actually moving forward. And, and if I can mention one other myth, because this one has been so damaging, and that is if you if you read the business books etc you will find there's very standard advice and the standard advice and this goes all the way back like a hundred years to think and grow rich the standard advice is have your goal know where you're going and then plan every step of the way to get there by the way this is good advice if let's say you want to be a surgeon there's a bunch of steps you need to take and you better well plan that out but for most of the people I interviewed that was not the case for most of the people, They started on this transition to wherever they were going unintentionally. They it was, it was, they were in a process of sort of, you know, for career changers, for example, it was maybe it was a side hustle, maybe it was a hobby, maybe just a random interest. But they started collecting information and experiences that led them to a very unexpected place, an unexpected transformation. I found that to be very, very liberating because it has been banged into all of us. Like y- you got to know where you're going. And so many people didn't. I mean, for example, the cattle farmer, he was started out as a JP Morgan economist, and he did not just like quit his job to become a cattle farmer. It was a process uh, starting out with buying an old farmhouse as a inexpensive weekend house, but it, it unfolded over a number of years um, same thing with, I have a wonderful guy in the book, Chris Donovan, who was a telephone repairman. And he, on the side, as a hobby, he drew pictures, very elaborate, fanciful pictures of women's shoes. And he ultimately, after 30 years at the phone company, realized he should be a designer. And he he literally now is a successful women's shoe designer. So there's these really interesting transformations that people go through and a lot that we can learn about the strategies that they put into place
0: what about your own personal story um joanne uh you um you you spent it seems as though you spent half your life uh as a conventional newspaper executive you worked for uh USA Today, you uh, were an executive um, at uh, Condé Nast, uh, and then a chief content officer at Gannett. What does the story of your life tell us about next?
1: Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. People ask, like, they ask me about how did I reinvent myself? And I always say, well, I'm a journalist. I've always been a journalist. I don't see it as a reinvention. It's just a different way of using my skills and my talents. But here's the thing. The people who I interviewed, when I spoke with them, they would say the same thing. You would talk to somebody who had what seems like the most extreme reinvention, and they would say, "Oh no, it's it's still me." They see it as a fuller expression of who they are. So even there's a woman named Catherine Finney, this very cool woman. She starts as an epidemiologist. Then a side hustle turns into her being known as the budget fashionista, writing about cheap clothes you can get at Target that are fashionable. And then somehow now she is an investor in Black-owned startups and and an advisor to Black-owned startups. And I said to her, like, she walked me through sort of her transition, and I said, these just seem so incredibly different. And she looked at me like I was nuts. And she's like, oh, no, it's like every pivot led to the next one. And it's it's all me. It's all who I am. And I think that is sort of key to successful transformations like this. It is not saying I don't like who I am and I'm going to throw out who I am. It is it's going to be a fuller expression of who I am. This is something moving forward, not throwing something out.
0: Uh, I I'm more sympathetic actually to your argument having done a show yesterday with Nick Sonnenberg he has a new best selling book come up for air about how to transform oneself at work and his advice to people working at corporations was to manage their own email more effectively there's some there seems to be something deeply miserable about corporate executive hierarchical life these days Joe and it's not so much a critique criticism of Nick Uh, he knows his audience and he's writing for people within these large organizations but I couldn't imagine much more miserable darker more pessimistic than working in a huge organization where your big challenge is managing your emails more effectively do you think there is a a broader crisis within these corporate bureaucracies the most people working at large companies want to experiment, want to pivot to use some of your language uh, to reinvent themselves in particular?
1: Yeah, I think within companies, I'm not a big fan of all these productivity hacks and zero inbox, and and, and simply because I think you wanna keep your focus on things that are meaningful. And this is the biggest issue at most companies. It's actually not the overloaded email inbox. The biggest issue within companies is people who feel like they have no agency. They feel like they don't have control. And I actually in the in next I have different um, examples of companies that have had major reinventions, and and then searched and then and then I sort of dug in to why those those were successful, and it turns out that the huge piece of a success of any reinventioning company is basically listen to your employees, give them some autonomy, and then listen to what they have to say. I mean, this is the reason for example that uh you may not know this but viagra um started out i'm a big
0: viagra fan uh, joanne
1: i am so glad to hear it so viagra I'm joking, started out i know as you
0: you you write about viagra in the uh in the book so i, I have do. a slide and i know that you you make an intriguing contrast between play-doh and uh, viagra yes. which aren't often talked about in the same sentence
1: Generally, not in the same sentence, but they are in my book. And the reason is both went through very similar transformations. Viagra started out as a heart drug that was not effective. Plato started out as a coal household cleaner to, to wipe coal off of your wallpaper. And in both cases, in the Plato case, it was called Kutal wallpaper dough. And in the case of Plato, of Kutal, you know, when people stopped using coal stoves in the 50s, this company was going bankrupt, and it was a family-run company, and it was because the owner's sister-in-law happened to be a nursery school teacher, and she read about and then experimented with, after reading in a nursery school magazine, that you could use this, what was called wallpaper dough, as modeling clay, and she did it. She made these little ornaments and baked them in the oven and called up her brother-in-law and said, oh my God, I can save your company. And um, Plato was born. And by the way, he used, he could use, they took out the the cleaning agent and they put in that smell, that aroma that we all know so well. But other than that, they were able to use the same equipment, the same extruders, the same cans, the same Mm -hmm. packaging, everything except for the label um, for Plato. And similarly, Viagra was a situation where it was a failed heart drug, but the, the team that was working on it was actually in England, in Sandwich, England. So they were far from headquarters. They had autonomy. They had the agency and the ability to say, hey, wait a second, there's this weird side effect of men getting erections. Maybe this is where we should be studying. And that's what led Mm. to Viagra. So the key to both of these is two keys. One is listen to your employees, your vendors, you know, give them some autonomy for these really great inventions. The second thing is when, when you do give them the autonomy, listen to them. Listen, this is, this is like the hugest downfall that so many companies have is employees may have great ideas, but they never get feedback. They don't feel like they're getting anywhere. And that's what leads to the frustration and to people wanting to leave. There was actually a a study done on this where a company gave gift cards for good ideas to incentivize employees to give them ideas. And after a few months, even though they were giving gift cards, employees stopped inputting ideas. And when researchers went to ask why did that, why did employees just give up? The employees said, I was all excited, not about the gift card, but about somebody listening mm-hmm. to me with my ideas. And when I got no feedback, and no acknowledgement even that I sent in this idea. I just gave up. Like yeah. who cares? I don't. I don't need a gift card. I want yeah, we don't to be
0: card. I, I never realized that Viagra was invented in uh, in Sandwich, in Kent. Um, I think that will be yes. a punchline in many jokes in future. I will never, <laughs> I will never use my Viagra now without thinking of Play-Doh, and vice versa. The two are forever connected in my mind. Joanna, <laughs> Sorry, thank no. you so much on that one. No, we had, uh, in all seriousness, we had a show last week with another best-selling journalist, Alyssa Quart. She has a new book out, Bootstrap, Liberating Ourselves from the American Dream. Um, She's a left-wing journalist. My sense is you're probably more centrist, probably on the progressive side, probably not as far on the left. She might, and I don't want to put words into Alyssa's mouth, she might read a book like next and say, this is just another excuse to support American capitalism and the kind, most of the kind of people who you talk to, who are treated in the book are successful people, whether they're a wall street banker or a farmer in upstate New York is really neither here nor there for most Americans. How would you respond to that kind of criticism?
1: Yeah, I actually intentionally spoke to, first of all, I spoke to people from their twenties through their nineties, different ages different socioeconomic groups and not all about careers. I mean, one of the most powerful stories in the book, I have, a, I have a whole chapter on post-traumatic growth. And actually one of the questions I raise is after all of us as a society have been through such trauma these past few years, is it possible to have post-traumatic growth, which by the way, what that means is, can you not just kind of bounce back to where- Can you I jump are, in? Uh,
0: because you're, a, you, you're an experienced journalist. If I was your editor, uh uh joanne i might say uh, all the trauma we've been through in the last few years this seems to be a, a sort of a cliche is it really true i mean sure if you died from covid that was rather traumatic uh, and if you lost loved ones that's traumatic but that's the nature of life and of history it, it is ha- have the last few years been any more traumatic than the period after 9 11 or around the great recession or during uh, the the uncertainty of the of the 1970s or the race riots of the 80s? What? Why is our age so traumatic? Or is it just seen as traumatic?
1: Actually, so po- the study of post-traumatic growth is relatively recent. And I'm glad you mentioned 9-11 because that was the first time they actually studied post-traumatic growth in a society. And there is a sense that... Uh, the the post trauma is not new. Clearly, trauma goes back, and I actually traced the history of writing about trauma from the, the ancient Syrians. But but the idea of post traumatic growth is something that is relatively recent, and there is there is an effort to attempt to say, is there a way we can induce growth? The growth being that you not just bounce back, but that you find some sort of positive in as as you go forward. Um, so. To go back to your original question, though, I mean, the, the the people who I spoke to in the book come from all different paths, and a lot of this is actually about lives as well. One of my favorite characters in the book, a woman named Kay Wilson, survived a machete attack in Israel that left her for dead, and I talked her through this whole process. It was 10 years ago, and she's still recovering. I mean, it is just the most horrific story I'd ever heard. But to see Kay today, to see how she sort of made her way through it and how she's trying to go forward, both in terms of things like embracing art, she makes these beautiful, colorful, happy pictures, um, but also in terms of being more altruistic. She's actually helping children right now, children of Palestinians. Palestinians, men, were the ones who attacked her. And she's now helping the children of essentially her enemies. So... There is something to be said for this and and uh, and it does there's a reason the the book is called next the power of reinvention in life and work because it's not just about your career
0: yeah you had an interesting tweet um uh, i'm gonna quote you said the women are more likely to become necessity entrepreneurs as are people of color lgbtq plus community and increasingly baby boomers all of whom are being squeezed off the mainstream career ladder that's what you write about in next so in a way I think you're arguing in next that the book in some ways is even more relevant to uh, minorities to people who aren't in the strongest economic uh, circumstances and, and and I think there's some truth to that 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 being entrepreneurial um, is is not just a luxury it's essential for many people these days
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and for more and more of us, I wouldn't say the book was was mostly for the marginalized groups. This book is for everyone, and because we all go through these periods of reappraisal, where we're thinking, "Am I in the right job? Do I want to keep what I'm doing? Am I do I want to live the way I'm living?" Right? We all have those moments. The reason that I i, I um, that what you just quoted was from a, a chapter that I call the necessity entrepreneur, and that is one version of people who change who need to go through this transformation and again what's so interesting is you know we i wrote a whole book about the gender gap called that's what she said that was my previous book um which also Uh, uh, a major
0: bestseller wall street journal number one best-selling book so quite an achievement
1: And and in that book, um, so much of the research that I cited in that book actually wasn't just women. It was about other marginalized groups, whether people of color, LGBTQ plus community. What was fascinating to me um, as I came back to this topic again was to see that baby boomers are now part of this group as well, because baby boomers are reaching that retirement age and are getting squeezed out. I I have a great example, a guy named Paul Tasner. Love this guy. Who had a great career in manufacturing, and at 64 years old, for the very first time ever in his life, got fired. And he's like, "I love my grandkids, but like, I don't want to just stay home and play with my grandkids all day." And Not and even he get up, <laughs> So he ended up creating and founding a new green manufacturing company uh, to make green packaging not the color green, um, as environmentally friendly packaging. Um, and, and, you know, his point was like, we have all these 30 under 30 lists. Where's the 70 over 70 list? Like we are vibrant and have a lot to contribute and we're being squeezed out and we can contribute so much more.
0: Well, let's, uh, let's, let's get to the nitty gritty, Joanne, uh, in your excellent wall street journal piece, you, you laid out five, five concrete areas where, We can try to reinvent ourselves and prepare ourselves successfully for our next act. The first you say is trying on possible selves. What does that mean?
1: Sure. So, possible selves is a a phrase I borrowed from psychology, but it means imagine where you might be, where you could be. You know, it's a very first step in making any kind of transformation. But the point I was making is it's not enough to think about it in your own head. You actually have to take action. You've got to do something about it, um, whether that's taking a course or shadowing somebody in a career or um, you know, developing your own kinds of hobby or side hustle so that you actually move forward. And by the way, if you write about it and share that with someone else, you are far more likely to achieve your goals as well.
0: Yeah, and I think your favorite one you were interviewed by... Katie Korich um, and the most important thing, at least in, in this interview suggested, is the importance of number two, talking to an expert companion. I wonder if that expert companion, Joanne, can be a spouse or, or or should it be someone slightly more distant, detached?
1: Oh, it can be a spouse. My expert companion is my spouse, though no Katie Kirk says she wants me to be hers and I'll be hers. I'd be happy to do that. So, um, but your expert companion is the person who can see you, objectively. Somebody who can see your skills and the progress you've made in certain areas that you can't see yourself. This is so important because all of us have particular talents or skills that are so innate to us that we do not recognize them. We don't even know they exist, or we just figure everybody has them. So um, having an expert companion reflect back to you what your strengths are can help get you, steer you in the right direction and perhaps prevent you from going in the wrong direction.
0: And the third, uh, the third law, the third uh, law that you, you, you at least, uh, Joanne, the Lippman law, is pay attention to your side hustles and passions. There's, there's been a bit of a pushback to this idea that often is articulated at graduations that you should follow your passion, and if you follow your passion, yes. you'll become happy. What, what's so, so I I assume there's a, a little bit of ambivalence on on this passion side hustle front, but you certainly have it in your list.
1: I do because because it's not so much like follow your passion, like I'll never work a day in your life, which is that the, the, the graduation. Tim Ferriss,
0: four hours a week law, which of course made him famous and rich, but nobody else.
1: <laughs> Point taken, but. In this case, the reason I say this, it's, it's it's part of when I talked about the expert companion. Pay attention. We sometimes just don't realize. This is not like I love making pots, and so therefore I'm going to quit my job as a journalist and go do that. It's more a matter of pay attention to where your skills are. This is another version of when we talk about the expert companion, is to recognize where you have skills, where you're building skills, where you may not Think about it, right? You may not realize it. So um, there were examples in the book um, of, uh, let's say, this the, Jane Barron, who was in the Wall Street yeah, Journal. Yeah, has a piece. very
0: attractive character, or is a very attractive, uh, the mayor of uh, Scarsdale, New York.
1: She's unbelievable, because what she did is she had three young daughters and quit, very reluctantly quit her job and was out of the workforce for 12 years. She said she felt invisible that whole time. So she didn't feel like she was getting anywhere. But actually, during those 12 years of being a stay-at-home mom, she was heavily involved in the school, the PTA, the zoning board, the you, know, you name it, right? And the, the League of Women Voters, you name it, she was involved. And when her oldest daughter went to college, she said she realized she needed another chapter. And what she realized was all of that stuff that she was doing all along actually was unbelievably great preparation for her to move forward she couldn't go back to her old corporate job too much time had passed but what she did is she took all of her experience and knowledge of women like her in the community who had a lot of business skills but were moms staying at home and the problems that business owners had in the business community and she started a nonprofit where the moms with business skills we're tutoring local business owners on mentoring them with things like, you know, balance sheets and finances and marketing. And she created this nonprofit, hugely successful, raises her profile and she gets elected mayor. I mean, but what's so cool about Jane is she told me that when she speaks to groups, she often talks to young women. And when she speaks to them, she said, I go through my career progression to become CEO and mayor. And it sounds as if I planned it every step of the way. And that I knew where I was going and I could tie it up with a bow. And she said, that's not what it's like at all. You don't actually realize where these actions that you are involved well, that, in are that, that leads to the, the fourth
0: point about being open to the unexpected. Uh, people who make the most extraordinary pivots, you say, often get there by following quite unexpected paths. Uh, how, how should we be open to the unexpected?
1: So again, so with Jane, who, as an example, so Jane's initial thought, and she kept trying to like, how do I get back to the corporate world? How do I go back to where I was? And it wasn't until she sort of opened her mind to actually all of these experiences she had that she realized she could actually move into something different. But you do need to be open to that. You need to, to, to um, keep your eyes open to the une- une- unexpected and pay attention to those Kind of meandering paths there, there was a really interesting piece of research done by a professor who asked people if they'd ever had an aha moment and and those who had an aha moment he he asked them what happened and a surprising proportion of these people said it led them to change their jobs but when he dove into these people who were changing their careers and who had had these life-changing aha moments he found a very common element was they all said that they were open to the experience, like they open their mind to the experience, Very, it's really easy for any of us if you have a gut feeling or you have this aha moment to just say, oh, that's nonsense, I'm just not gonna pay attention. These people paid attention and that's what I mean. Be Finally, open
0: and it. this is the one actually I rather like, is remember that nothing is wasted uh, in terms of your life. Um, I wonder whether that requires us to be a little bit more, shall we say, philosophical or detached from our own narratives. Our lives.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. The the way the the reason I came to this is simply because when I interviewed people, even those with the most extreme transformations would say, you know, I don't see it that way, right? I use everything. I mean, the I mentioned the the phone repairman t- turned into a shoe designer. He actually uses industrial parts in his designs. He said it's part of who he is and it helps differentiate him from, you know, shoe designers who are inspired by flowers and trees. Like he, he goes to junkyards and gets inspired. Um, and so uh, everybody I talked to, the the um, the cattle farmer who was an economist, he's like running a cattle farm. It's like a small business. It's everything I love about being an economist, which is like the process and the problem solving and figuring out what's the best way to get from here to there and and figuring out the books like he loves that and he sees it very similarly to the work he's been doing all along to his identity as an economist and so i love that because it it tells you you're not wasting whatever you're doing you may feel like you are standing still or struggling but you're actually well, convinced
0: forward. me uh joanne about next i think it's for real it's not just a seduction to get us to buy another book uh f- final two questions uh, what's next for you and then you've talked to me for half an hour what, what should be next for me what sense do you have
1: so what's next for me is a whirlwind of activity right now since today is publication day um but i do i also teach at yale and i'm also on cnbc Uh, So I am always up to date on whatever is happening. I've been very involved, for example, writing and speaking about artificial intelligence and chat GPT. Yeah, you actually had an
0: interesting piece Um, on... Why you don't think uh, chat GPT should be banned uh, in schools, that maybe is a subject for another book uh, or, or another conversation. Well, yes, and then what about for me, Joanne, what yeah. should be next for me? You We haven't met before, but you've got a sense of me uh, if i'm if I'm not happy with Keenon, what should I do next?
1: Well, you've had so many interviews with really interesting people that, I would love to see you put together sort of your best of, of as in what you have learned, right? I'm sure when you talk to all of these different people, you're picking out bits and pieces from this one or discounting that one. (laughs) And it would be very interesting to synthesize all the information you're getting, right? Right now it comes out piece at a time, but I bet you could synthesize that into something very, very interesting.